Well, listen, if you came this morning expecting the best Resurrection Sunday sermon you've ever heard, believe me, you're going to get it. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Um, actually, I just want to, I want to encourage everybody here this morning um, as best I can with something. And if you're writing this down, this isn't on, on the PowerPoint. If you're writing this down, let me just kind of set the pace this morning really quickly. Um, God wants to move all of those who follow him who follow his son, Jesus. He wants to move his followers from being naturally attracted to him to being spiritually devoted to him. And I want to qualify what I'm I'm saying there by looking at the life of Peter. And the reason I want to choose Peter is because he's, he's one of the greatest examples of who we typically are. Peter was one of those guys who was just a normal guy, lived a normal life. Jesus came and, uh, and picked him out of, the, out of the crowd. And Peter's one of those guys that had a big mouth, said big boastful things. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Remember that one? Remember the time he said, that, he said um, uh, never let it be, Lord, that you would go to the cross and die. You're not going to die. And remember Jesus is like, get by me, Satan. What are you talking about? You don't have the mind of God right now. You have your own things in mind. He's the one that cut off the guy's ear that time. You guys remember that story? You remember the rooster that crowed three times right after he denied Jesus three times? This is, this is Peter, and he's very, very similar to us in our walk, that we are following God, but we are not um, perfect. And so I wanted to look at his life and just show you what I mean by this idea of being naturally attracted versus spiritually devoted to the Lord. And I've, I've shared this um, several times in, in personal one-on-one discipleship times with guys over coffee or whatever. But this morning, um, I really felt like I was supposed to share it here. So I'm hoping that this encourages you to move further and higher uh, in, in your faith, in your walk with the Lord. So turn to Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5. And this is basically, here in Luke chapter 5, this is where Jesus calls Peter. Luke chapter 5, I'm reading out of the NAS, so you just follow along as best as you can. It says, Now it happened that while the crowd was pressing around him, Jesus, and listening to the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. And he saw two boats lying at the edge of the lake. But the fishermen had gotten out of the boats and were washing their nets. And when they're washing their nets, they're not like, they're just dipping the nets in water and like, oh, this is going to get them clean. I mean, these are fishing nets. You know, you catch fish or whatever, they're going to stink. And so they want to get that out of there, otherwise your nets are going to stink. So they're washing their nets. And it says that Jesus got into the boat, uh, got into one of the boats, which was Simon, talking about Simon Peter's, and he asked him to put out a little way from the land. And then he sat down, And he began teaching the people from the boat. So Jesus is teaching, and you see him say, Hey, Peter, I need to borrow your boat. So he gets in the boat and pushes out, and he's actually teaching from out in the water. Then it says, When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered him and said, Master, we've worked hard all night and caught nothing. But I will do as you say, and let down the nets. And I want you to pause right there. When he calls him master, this word is like basically just saying, sir. Sir, um, it's, it's, a, it's a level of respect there. In fact, it says, well, I'll do what you're saying out of respect. I will do what you say because you said this. I will cast my nets out. It's like he's saying, you know, I respect you, Jesus. And he knew Jesus. Jesus had just healed his mother-in-law from a fever. You guys remember the story? 
And so he knew Jesus. He knew Jesus was a teacher. He knew Jesus was a healer. He knew Jesus was an all-around good guy. <laughs> and so out of respect, he says, all right, master, which is, like, again, it's kind of like saying, sir, I respect you. I will do this. Then it says, um, but when they had done this, they enclosed a great quantity of fish and their nets began to break. So they signaled to their partners in the other boats for them to come and help them. And they came and filled both of the boats so that they began to sink. In other words, they caught so many fish that the boats, two boats started to sink. But when Simon Peter saw that, when he saw that they were catching so many fish, when he saw that basically a miracle, he fell down at Jesus' feet saying, Go ahead, uh, go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. For amazement had seized him and his companions because of the catch of fish which they had taken. Now, it's interesting. He goes from calling him master. Some of your version says master both times. Master, I'll do what you said. And the other one says master. Falls down at his feet and says master. You know, those are actually two different words in the original language. And the first one is kind of like saying sir. But this is like an upgrade. This is an upgrade here. He's like, uh, whoa, hello. You got something. You know, it's like saying... Um, and he bows down. It's, it's like saying, you are someone that obviously has some type of superiority over me, some type of authority over me. And he bows down. And he says, go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. And I want you to know, and I don't want to get too geeky, but in the original language, it's not even so much that this is a big major time of repentance for Peter it's, as much as it is he's acknowledging that Jesus was some kind of holy guy. That he was a teacher, he was a healer, but he's beyond that stuff. This guy possesses something, you know? And so you look and you see, it's not like he's saying, he just basically says, you're a holy guy, get away from me. He says, for amazement had seized him and all of his companions because of the catch of fish. Uh, James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon Peter. And then Jesus said to Simon, do not fear, from now on you will be catching men. When they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Now, let's just be honest real quick. They left everything and followed him. Again, we're going to be just completely honest. Why did they leave everything and follow him? The NIV says that they were astonished at the catch of fish. Jesus had just done a great, miraculous thing for them. They were fishermen. They'd been fishing all night, and they may have even been a little vulnerable. It's like, we're tired. This guy can bring the fish. And it says, and so they left everything. And I thought about how much that was like me when I first got saved. I've said this before from this stage. When I got saved, when I gave my life to Jesus, it wasn't necessarily because I loved him. I didn't even know him. All I knew was that I needed him. There was a lack of love, a lack of peace, a lack of joy, a lack of all kinds, a lack of holiness. There was no conscience in my life, and I was miserable at 19 years old. And then I hear about this Jesus guy who can bring peace to the storm, who can bring joy to the depression, who can change suicidal thoughts to to thoughts of life. And I said, I need that. I was naturally attracted to what Jesus had to offer. And you know what? There's nothing wrong with that. Some of you are in the same boat. There's nothing wrong with being naturally attracted to Jesus. It's kind of like when my wife and I um, first started dating. You know? I didn't know. I knew Melissa because we went to school together, but I didn't know, know, know her. But I knew one thing. (laughs) That girl was fine. (laughs) 
You know what I mean? That's what we used to say back in, uh, you know, in the late 80s, early 90s. You know, and my wife was fine. Okay? So we started dating. You know, I was naturally attracted to my wife. You know? But what if, and we've been married, this summer will be 18 years. What if today it was still all about, just all about how fine my wife was? That wouldn't be bad because she's still fine. <laughs> you know what I mean? But what I'm saying is... We have to move. Sorry, babe. She's like, always do this to me. Anyway, we have to move beyond just a natural attraction of who our wives are or husbands, but certainly of our Lord. We have to move from saying, Master, Sir, I'll do it because I respect you, to upgrading to at some point saying, Lord, And even that isn't the complete upgrade of what he should be calling the Lord and his actions. In fact, you see, from that point on, he follows the Lord. And even as someone who who has now left his nets, I'm walking with Jesus three years. And during that three years, all kinds of failures. I don't know that you could point to as many failures of a man, of the disciples, as much as these guys. But bottom line, he's cutting people's ears off. He wouldn't agree with Jesus when Jesus said, I must go to the cross, I must die. All of those things that he did, all those failures. And so you can see this guy has got some growing to do. And then you get to the scene the, the, um, whenever Jesus is being beaten and scourged and, and, and Peter's out in the courtyard warming himself by the fire and you know just kind of staying low, laying low. And people are like, hey, um, aren't you with Jesus? Oh, no, 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 man. I'm, I was just warming my hands. You got some hot dogs? You know what I mean? Then another person recognized him. No, 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 I think you were. You were, with, you were with Jesus and those other guys. No, no. And then the third time someone asked him, Yes, you, I recognize you. I can even tell by the way you talk. You are a guy that will follow Jesus. And, and Peter, it says, he actually kind of cursed. He's like, you know, no, I don't know the man. And then we know the story. Jesus prophesied he would, the rooster would crow. And he would deny Jesus three times before the rooster would crow. As soon as he did that, and you know, Peter was like, and then it says that he went away. He was ashamed. Like, that's us. That's us. We are the guys, we are the women, we are the men who deny the Lord. We are the guys that, that are still functioning off of a natural attraction to Jesus rather than a spiritual devotion. Come what may, I will be with you, Lord. Whoever accuses me of this, that, or the other, I will say, yes, I know the man. I'm one of his followers. I am one of his disciples. That's the place where we want um, to be. And you really see that come to pass in Acts. Let's look at the, the natural, uh, the spiritual devotion portion. And we'll kind of fill in the blanks. We'll go back and fill in some of the blanks. The spiritual devotion. Look at Acts chapter 2. And we, and we know the story. You can turn there if you want. But this is basically when the Holy Spirit comes at Pentecost. The mighty rushing wind is, is, is in the building. All those people are in um, for that pilgrimage feast, and there are tons of people in Jerusalem. And, and uh, Peter stands up. The guy who once denied Jesus in, a, in front of a few people now stands up in front of thousands and gives one of the boldest gospel message, messages ever. And it says that that day that 3,000 people got saved. So we go from a naturally attracted Peter who's denying him in the courtyard to a spiritually devoted 
follower of Christ who not only is saying, I know the man, but is telling everybody else, you got to know the man. And 3,000 people said, I will. I'll get to know the man. And I'm thinking about the old Peter versus the new Peter. And we sang several songs this morning about leaving the old, clinging to the new. Resurrection is, is about leaving the old and walking in the newness of life. And I'm, I'm pondering this, and I just ask myself, what this week, for you and for myself, what does it take to be spiritually devoted to God? What does it take to be a person that's spiritually devoted to God? And we can fill in the blanks with all kinds of stuff. We could, I mean, there's all kinds of stuff we could think of from our testimonies, things we've done, things we've seen, things we've heard, whatever. But I'm going to give you three things. Okay, the first thing is, is the cross. You want to be a person who's, who's spiritually devoted to the Lord, you need to be very, very familiar with the cross. The cross of Christ. And when I say that, I don't mean get yourself a picture of Jesus on the cross and leave him up there because that's where he is, that's where he belongs. And No, we know that he's not on the cross anymore. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is what Jesus himself said, meant when he said, whoever wants to be my disciple... And that's, a, that's another way of saying whoever wants to be spiritually devoted, isn't it? Whoever wants to be my disciple, spiritually devoted, must deny themselves. Deny themselves of their desires. Deny themselves of their dreams. If need be, desi- uh, de- uh, deny themselves of their demands. Remember, nat- remember, naturally attracted people are following him because what he can give them, what he can bring to them, what he can do for them. And so we may not voice all kinds of demands, but in our head, in our heart, and in our actions, we're basically demanding from Jesus all the time. In fact, my following of Jesus may depend upon his coming through of whatever my demands are. But as soon as my demands aren't coming or what I want to see happening, I start backing up. My devotion from the, of, of the Lord starts waning. That's not what God wants for those who, who He's called to follow Him. That's not why Jesus died on the cross, so people can be, continue in their sin and selfishness. That's not what He did. He wants people to follow Him because of who He is, not because of what He can do for you. He's already done the greatest thing that He could ever do, and He promises He'll do more, but our following Him is not contingent upon what He will provide for us day to day because if you've been around long enough if you've lived life long enough you know that things don't go your way all the time things don't you don't get what you want you don't always have that extra hundred dollars at the end of a month you know what I mean you don't always have that peachy keen day with your with your wife or your kids you don't always come to church on a Sunday morning and it be just smooth as butter how many amens can I get this morning your parents are like When those things happen, and that's, that's mild compared to what some followers of Christ around the world experience. But when those things come, whatever they are, come what may, will we say, I know the man, I follow the man, I will go to the cross with the man, like the disciple John did. He went all the way to the cross, understood, man. I was actually going to talk about him this morning, but I thought most of us can relate a little more to Peter. Become spiritually devoted. The death, the cross represents death. 
Whoever wants to be my disciples must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. And of course, Paul said the same thing. I die daily. I die daily. I desire, uh, die to my desires. I desire, die to what I want, how I want it. I sacrifice. I, I die daily. I sacrifice every day in my life. Just like the Lord sacrifices very life, even death on the cross, I am willing to sacrifice for the sake of my Lord. That's spiritual devotion. And at, at the end of the day, most of us probably don't look too fondly at our lives that day and say, I was a person of sacrifice today. I lived a sacrificial life today. I was selfless today. Most of us, at the end of the day, we're kind of like, kind of feeling guilty and ashamed like Peter did when he had to walk out of that courtyard thinking, I did, I did exactly what he said I would do. I denied him three times. You know? Spiritually devoted people are people of the cross. Second thing is, is people of the resurrection. Remember I said it's not all about Jesus hanging on a cross. That's not what I meant at all. Because in conjunction with the sacrifice that comes with being a person from the cross, it's being a person of resurrection. Of course, today's Resurrection Sunday. Being a person of, of the resurrection, that means that everything that Christ accomplished through rising from the grave, rising from the dead, those things um, should be evident in our life. We know that he won the power over sin and death and the grave. So sin should be decreasing in our lives. There's a lot of Christ followers that sin is actually increasing as the days get harder and as time goes on. The more temptations and the culture's crazy. I get it. But people who are walking on a path to be spiritually devoted, people who are, who are people of resurrection... You know, scripture says that the same power that raised Christ from the dead lives in us. And so is that evident? As we walk, as we live, is that evident in our life? The same power that raised Christ from the dead. Meaning I have the ability to be victorious over sin. I don't have to continue in the same life. There's a new life that has come. Romans 6 verse 4 says, We died. We were buried with Christ by baptism. And we know most of us that are believers have been baptized. If you're a believer, follower of Christ, you've been saved, but you haven't been baptized, I encourage you to do that. But when we are baptized, we are saying, I am being crucified with Christ. My old self, the who I was, is being buried and we go under the water, right? But when we come out, we're saying, I am being raised again. I am, I am, I am being resurrected in the newness of life. You know, most people don't realize this, but the word resurrection basically means to restore. It means to, and I want you to write this down. It means to reinstate, to be reinstated. It means to bring back. Well, that makes sense because you bring back somebody's life. To bring back, to reestablish. But listen, when we go to the grave, when we're baptized and what Christ has done in this, which is a picture in baptism, when we die, we're dying to ourselves, and we rise again, it's in the likeness of Christ. We're not being reinstated into our old life. We're being reinstated into the life that he provided by his death on the cross. You, but see, we come out and we're, we think we're being reinstated into our old way of living. And that's, Paul goes off on that a ton of different times. Says, no, 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 no. Forgetting what is behind, I press on towards what is ahead. 
Resurrection is about being reinstated in the likeness and in the power and the authority and in the the, um, picture of who Jesus is. If we are not people who are continually growing in our... um, um, uh, in the image of Jesus Christ, and we're people who are probably still just naturally attracted to him and people who aren't moving towards being spiritually devoted. Paul said that I may know him. It's another way of saying spiritually devoted to him. And the power of his resurrection, the power of his resurrection. And the third thing, you, you can't really move on to spiritual maturity, spiritual devotion in Christ without the Spirit. Without the Spirit. And we know that, that it was the Spirit that came in that upper room, came upon the apostles there and the 120 disciples. It was the Spirit that was finally in Him. Because Jesus said, wait for that gift, the gift of my Spirit that will come upon you. Wait. And they waited and it came. And it was that that really enabled Peter to preach the message that he preached. And the power and authority, the same power that raised Christ from the dead, was in him and accomplished, accomplished a major thing. 3,000 people got saved. Who can do that? No one except for him or her who's filled with the Holy Spirit and is surrendered. Amen? Again, we died and were buried with Christ by baptism, Romans 6, 4. And then it goes on to say, And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. And that is the point of, of the new covenant. It's not about the law and you've got to keep rules. It's about, it's about life, the newness of life, not the newness of law. We try to make it work with rules and stuff and I can follow just enough. No, it's the newness of life. Most of us are, are hidden here. But God's like, what I did made it possible for you to be hidden here. What is that movie? You're here, you need to be here. You're here, you need to be hidden here. You know? It's the truth. Most of us are hitting on like, my way used to have this truck that would kind of putter. And um, I'd always get made fun of. It's like, oh, you're only hitting on one cylinder? You only got four to begin with. You know? It looks like only one cylinder is working. It's like, that's how we are in our, in our faith sometimes. We're only hitting on one cylinder. And that was what, we, that, what he did for us that day. He rescued us. And that's awesome and it's powerful, but we have to move on. Even like it says in, in, in Hebrews chapter 6, I believe. We've got to move on from those elementary things and move on to a, to a solid, uh, faith-filled, spiritually devoted state of being. Otherwise, we're going to be dragged away. We've been talking about some of those things on Sunday mornings. Um, and in Romans 8, I want to read this to you. It says, But if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, and He does... He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. And that, just does, that doesn't just point to eternity when you will be raised and, and you will be spending eternity in heaven. Listen, I want to read the message version really quick. It stands to reason. This is the message version of the Bible, of Romans eight eleven. It stands to reason, doesn't it? That if the alive and present God who raised Jesus from the dead, moves into your life, he'll do the same thing in you that he did in Jesus, bringing you alive to himself. Another way of saying spiritually devoted. When God lives and breathes in you, and he does as surely as he did in Jesus, you are delivered from that dead life. 
with His Spirit living in you, your body will be as alive as Christ's. And again, this is more than just being able to be raised from the dead now or eternal life later. It's talking about eternal life, but as we've been talking on Sunday mornings here recently, it's also about the abundant life that you could be living now. The peaceful life. The life I didn't have before Jesus. It was chaos. It wasn't peace. It was depressing. And the sinless life. Now listen, when I say sinless, I don't mean you're never going to sin again because you will. But let's flip those words. Less sin. How about that? That work? Does that work for everybody? A person who's spiritually devoted to Christ will be sinning less, right? Less sin. That's what it means, and you guys, I quote this all the time, it's what it means to live a life worthy of the the calling. In Ephesians 4, Paul says, I, the prisoner of the Lord, I implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling which you have received in Christ Jesus. And if you're writing things down, write this down. A person who is not spiritually devoted to Christ will not live a life worthy of the calling they have received in Christ. I'll say it one more time. A person who is not spiritually devoted to the Lord, a person of the cross, a person of resurrection, a person of the Holy Spirit, they will not live a life worthy of the calling that they have received in Jesus Christ. So if you are here and you can examine your heart and your life like we're supposed to on a daily basis, the psalmist said, investigate my life and see if there be any wicked way in me. It should be a daily process for us. We're not very good at it, but we we should get better and better as we become spiritually devoted. We should say, how worthy of the calling I've received in Christ Jesus am I living right now? Just take inventory and revert back to the cross. Am I a person of the cross? Am I a person who is has been reinstated in the likeness of Christ, who has been reestablished, who has been brought back to life, but in the life, the newness of life? Am I a person that is being filled with the Spirit, obeying the Spirit, surrendering to the Holy Spirit, displaying the fruits of the Spirit? Am I that person? And here's the thing. You may think, and I know this is true, because we're human and the enemy is a condemner. You may think that you are a person that it's just too late for you to live a life that is devoted spiritually. It's too late. I've done too much. If you only knew, I could get a journal and start writing for you all the things I've done. It's too late. It's too late. I want to remind you of something in Peter's life. After Jesus rose again, he walked for 40 days and he met with people, talked to people. Remember he talked with Thomas, see the, see the holes, see the, the stuff. And one day... He found himself, he didn't find himself, he went there intentionally, but he found himself at the shore of a lake again, and he called out to the people in the boat again, what y'all doing out there? A guy named Peter was out there fishing. In John, in John uh, chapter 21, it says that Peter said, I'm going fishing. So much shame, so much stuff. He said, I'm, I'm going fishing. Went back to his old life. Remember, he, he was reinstated himself into his old life. He's back there fishing. But Jesus came to the shore. What y'all doing out there? We're fishing. Having any luck? Oh. Uh, cast your net on the other side. Well, we've been fishing all night and we haven't caught anything. Just try it. All right. 
And he does it, and all of a sudden, they are catching more fish than they knew what to do with. And Peter immediately was like, because he remembered, didn't he? He remembered what Christ had done. And this is a man who didn't just make his way. He didn't focus on the fish. He's like, forget the fish. He jumped out of the boat and swam with all his might to the shore because he recognized that it was Jesus. And Jesus was actually waiting on the shore with a mess of fish cooked and ready to go. Isn't that good? When we focus on our natural attraction, what can he do for me? What can he get? He's a step ahead of you. He knows what you need, and he's got it prepared for you. He knows what you need before you even ask, Scripture says. I love that, but here's what I love even more, because this gives hope to everybody in this room. You guys know the story. How many times did he deny Jesus before the rooster? Three. That's a significant number. Why? I don't know. It's just a bunch of times they deny Christ. You know, but... (laughs) Whenever, <laughs> I was going to come up with something, but it, I was like, I don't know. Anyway. But listen, when he's on the shore with Jesus, you know the story. Jesus asked him three times. Jesus said, Peter, do you love me? Peter said, yes, Lord, I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. And at some point, he said to him again, Peter, do you love me? Peter said, yes, Lord, I love you. Feed my lambs. And he asked him one more time. You guys know the story. Peter, do you love me more than these? And I don't know if he's talking about more than the other disciples or more than this fish, (laughs) but more than something. And Peter said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said, then feed my sheep. And you have to remember, there was a time where when when, Peter, when Peter said, Thou art the Son of the living God, the Messiah, the Christ, Son of the living God. It was at that moment that, that God gave him a special calling. Upon this rock, I'm going to build my church. Upon that revelation and upon you, Peter, you are going to help me build my church. And then so you see this moment. Do you love me? Yes. Feed my sheep. What's that a reference to? His original calling. Do you love me? Yes. Feed my lambs. Take care of the church. Do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. You know that I love you. Then feed my sheep. I haven't forgot about what I've called you to do. Just because you've been a bonehead doesn't mean I'm going to be a bonehead. Amen? And you can't help but notice that three times he denied Christ and three times he was forgiven. That moment, you know what that was? That was a resurrection moment for Peter. He was reinstated. Back on, Peter. And listen, God is telling you this morning that it doesn't matter if it's three times, one time, or 10,000 times. He will ask you, how many times do you love me? If it's 10,000, he will ask you 10,000 times. But we have to be people who are spiritually devoted and will say 10,000 times, yes. 10,000 times, yes, Lord, I love you. Not focusing on, on our old life, not focusing on what we want, but realizing God has something better. I'm here, but his word says I should be here. The enemy comes to try to say that you are not good enough, you have done too much. Jesus says, I, did, I matched it. I matched it. Question for denial. I asked you three times, you deny me three times. If it's 10,000 times, I would have asked you 10,000 times. You guys get what I'm saying. It doesn't matter where you've been. It just matters where you're going. Amen? Let's stand. What's in your heart as a response? Do you love me? 
And so I'd like for everybody to, to just close their eyes and just focus on what the Lord is speaking this morning. And know that right now, the Lord is asking you, do you love me? Do you love me, Tony? Do you love me, Sean? Do you love me, Ken? Do you love me, Corey? Do you love me, Colin? Do you love me, Nathan? Stella, do you love me? And if you have to imagine that he's asking you 10,000 times to cover whatever it is, to counteract, to reinstate you, then imagine it, because he will do it. So I say yes 10,000 times today, Lord. Yes. Thank you for redemption. Thank you for restoration. Thank you for resurrection. Thank you for bringing me back. Thank you for reestablishing me in you on the firm foundation. You being the rock, Lord. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.